Welcome to Finding Amanda, an investigatory and information-based podcast with the sole purpose of determining what happened to Amanda Lynn Caudill of St. James, Missouri in December of 2014. Following Amanda's disappearance, the searches in the immediate area provide no indications that she is still there. Family, law enforcement, and close friends begin to gather any information that they can in hopes of determining her location and confirming her well-being. When Amanda's cell phone activity indicates that she, or at least her phone, is active in another location, they feel they may have a credible lead. Hello, and welcome back to Finding Amanda. I'm Brandon, and in this episode, we are going to focus on the initial reactions following Amanda's disappearance. Before we get too deep into anything specific, I want to set the stage, geographically speaking, for those not familiar with the local area where all of this unfolded. Amanda's hometown of St. James, Missouri, is a small town of approximately 5,000 people, and is officially considered a township in Phelps County. Nestled in south-central Missouri, it is bisected by probably the most well-known highway in the state, Interstate 44. I-44 runs west-southwest to east-northeast throughout the entire southern portion of the state, connecting Springfield, Missouri to St. Louis, Missouri. St. James is located almost halfway between the two well-known cities in the southern foothills of the Ozark Mountains. Approximately 10 miles to the west of St. James is Rolla, predominantly known as more of a college town as it is the home of the Missouri University of Science and Technology. Rolla is not a city by most interpretations, more of a large town. If you continue another 25 miles west along I-44, you'll find yourself in the town of St. Robert and the neighboring military installation of Fort Leonard Wood. Continuing west from here only results in even more rural townships and spanning farmland until you reach Springfield, Missouri. Now, if we head back the other way, if we travel east from St. James along I-44, it is a little more developed, but not by much, until you start to reach the suburbs of St. Louis. The town of Cuba is situated about 10 miles east of St. James, followed next by the equally small town of Bourbon at about 20 miles away. And if you blink, you'll miss both of these towns. The first remotely significant town that we encounter as we move east towards St. Louis is the town of Sullivan, which is home to the Merrimack State Park, whose main attraction is the Miramac Caverns and Miramac River. About 30 miles east of St. James, our next notable town would be St. Clair, and what I would consider the start of the St. Louis suburbs, sitting approximately 40 miles east of St. James. From here, it would be almost another 20 miles to Pacific, Missouri, and lastly, the city of Eureka, home of the local Six Flags at about 65, 70 miles from St. James. And this is without a doubt the start of the sprawling St. Louis. Now, one might ask why this geographic understanding is important to consider when reviewing this case. This will become more apparent as we delve into the leads and available information that begin to pop up in the days following Amanda's disappearance. As mentioned in Episode 1, when Amanda was found to be missing, she had left her car behind and there was no obvious indication that she had left with anyone else. Assuming that she had left on foot resulted in a fairly extensive search of the property on 15 and 16 December. Given this, as well as the items she took with her, it is pretty safe to assume that the initial thoughts were likely self-harm. However, when no evidence of this is found, it started to seem plausible that Amanda might have in fact left the area of her own accord. On 15 December, family members began contacting friends in attempts to locate her, and late in the night, her father posted on her Facebook page stating that she had taken off, and he pleaded for her, or someone, to contact him, 
let him know that she was all right. He may have felt a sense of relief when the following day he received word her cell phone showed recent activity in the vicinity of St. Clair and Pacific. I will continue to refer to it as cell phone activity until it is clarified as to what type of activity it actually was. The cell phone activity has been reported in news articles, flyers, and on social media as either a phone call or a ping that occurred around 1 p.m. on Monday, December the 15th, the day Amanda was officially reported missing. In the event you're not familiar with cell phone pinging, simply put, it is the act of determining the estimated current location of a cell phone. This may be accomplished via GPS data or by using cell tower triangulation. Given the fact the property was being searched on the evening of the 15th and a more extensive one followed the next day on Tuesday, the 16th, I think it's reasonable to assume that this location information wasn't available until at least the search was already underway on Tuesday, the 16th. Otherwise, it would seem pointless to search for someone in one location when you have reason to believe that they are somewhere else. That or the activity was not substantial enough to cause law enforcement to shift focus. It's important to note that the phone was reportedly turned off following this activity. Like I stated, some sources reference this cell activity as a call to a family member. I do not personally feel this is accurate because no family member has ever stated that she called them on that day. And I can't see a reason that she would call them because she had already apparently left and left a note stating this. Unless there was an unforeseen emergency, there doesn't appear to be a reason for her to reach back out to them at this time. This activity, which was provided by a very viable source, was reported to be in the St. Clair Pacific area. If you remember from my descriptions earlier, I noted that St. Clair and Pacific are approximately 20 miles apart, and a legitimate phone ping would be considerably more accurate than this, even eight years ago. I referenced all the way back to 2010, and all GPS-based locations were accurate to within 20 to 150 meters, with that range accounting for adverse weather and signal strength. To the best of my understanding, this activity did occur to some extent. I'm just not convinced it was a call or an actual ping based on the available information. If you or someone you know has more accurate information concerning this cell phone activity, please reach out to the show. This cell phone activity information was also received the morning of the 16th, as mentioned, at the latest, within 24 hours of her being reported missing, and could have only been gathered a few ways. If law enforcement had submitted a subpoena or warrant for records immediately upon her being reported missing, it's possible that they would have received these records in that short amount of time, especially if they had reported it as an emergency under exigent circumstances, such as imminent danger, imminent risk to life, or a fugitive. However, they would have, had to, they would have received much more accurate location information from those records. And while it would have reflected the phone ceasing to communicate with the carrier, i.e. it was turned off or the battery died, it would not explain the large area described as St. Clair to Pacific. If Amanda was on a family plan of sorts or family members had access to her records online, it's possible that they could have determined a general location based on that. I say it's possible, but I am not sure if it actually is. Simply because I and you can look at your own cell phone records and while I can determine the locations of numbers that I'm calling, I can't determine my own location while I'm making those calls. Given that some things have changed since 2014, I cannot say that it was not possible then to view the call origination locations 
but I don't remember this ever being a possibility. That being said, it would not have been possible to see that the phone was turned off from looking at usage records or statements. Another possibility is some sort of tracking app. Assuming again that someone in the family or friends had this set up between them and Amanda, iPhones Find My iPhone and Androids uh, Find My Device both existed in 2014, and these apps would reflect if a device was turned off and report its last known location. However, a tracking app still doesn't explain the 20-mile difference between the locations reported, as they also use the aforementioned GPS. This leaves me wondering, what exactly was this cell phone activity, and how was it obtained? I am left with even more questions when I discover that this activity might not even be her last cell phone activity, but that comes later, the following day, 20 miles west, in the opposite direction, in one of those blink-and-you'll-miss-it towns, named Bourbon. So to recap all of that, Amanda leaves St. James on the 14th or the 15th, and her cell phone shows some type of activity 40 to 60 miles east on the afternoon of the 15th. Then the phone is turned off. To me, this indicates her direction of travel towards St. Louis or possibly further towards Illinois. Then the phone must be turned back on because, according to law enforcement, it pings the following day, on the 16th, in the vicinity of a residence in Bourbon, 20 miles back west towards St. James, and this residence, coincidentally, belongs to a very close friend who we have spoken with before. Here we speak again with two of Amanda's friends, Jessica and Brandy. They are sisters. And in addition to being friends with Amanda, Jessica was also friends with another family member who was exchanging information in an attempt to locate Amanda following her disappearance. We'll speak with her first, and in the following clips, they will both give their accounts of the incident as well as some discussion concerning the St. Clair Pacific activity. Keep in mind, this is not the first time that I've spoken with Jessica or Brandy regarding this incident, so it may appear as though I'm referencing as the conversation starts, and, and that's true. I'm referencing a previous conversation where I already have some details, and I'm trying to clarify some others. Like I had been speaking to a family member by text, and that's when she started questioning about who who was. I don't want to say her by name. I also have to be careful not to like specifically trash them. As I mentioned, immediately after them checking out the uh, residence near you, the family member changes the conversation with you to inquiring about your sister, asking if your sister was married. You told her no, she's divorced, you gave her last name, uh, you said who she's engaged to currently, You and then you were asking, why, do you, why are you asking this, was everything okay? She was reluctant to tell you, she said I'll let you know here shortly. And then you told her, do you need something from her? Here's her phone number. I just called her. There's an actual phone call in between me telling Brandy what's going on. And I don't know if I give her my number or if I don't know at that point I ask for hers. But I have a verbal conversation, and that's when she told me I've got her before I ever hang up and call Brandy. She asked, your sister married Brandy. You say, no, she's divorced. Her name is Brandy. She's engaged to Jared. Why? Is everything okay? I'll let you know here shortly. You responded, is everything okay? Do you need anything from her? She says, don't call her or anything. Does she live with Jared? You said, yes, she does. Why? And she says, in Bourbon. 
And you said, yes, is everything okay? I'm a little worried. Or she said, don't say anything to anybody. It's vital. You asked, what's your number? What's going on? Please tell me. She gave you her phone number. And then you called her. Okay. Yeah, but I know I spoke with her verbally. That's yeah, I'm assuming after she gave you her phone number, you called her. And then yeah. after that, I you mean, said, my sister is calling you. I hope that's okay. So I'm assuming you've already talked to her. Then you talked to Brandy. Then you messaged back saying, my sister is calling you. I hope everything is okay. So I call her probably a minute after 1021. Let's say 1022. And then by 1034, I tell her my sister is calling you. Obviously, between those two calls, I've already called Brandy. I was on the phone as Brandy's like, they're pulling up. So why do you think the family member never had any kind of follow-up? You talked to her on the phone. She was super excited about getting her. She hasn't done anything besides left under her own accord at this point in time. Was there any more context to that conversation that you remember? Um, honestly, that's the statement that sticks out the most because I all I could think is, like, you got her. Like, what did she do her? You? It, it was like she was in trouble. Like, aha, like we found her. And the first thing that clicked in my mind was this isn't a game of hide-and-go-seek. And I immediately um, got off the phone, and I called my sister and – I mean, I don't remember how I said it to her, but it, ultimately I was like, like law enforcement is on their way. They think Amanda is there. And she was like, what are you, you know, what are you talking about? And I tried to share some of the story. And at that point, you know, my sister was pretty flabbergasted, stepped outside and she was either getting ready to sit down or sitting down. She said, they're pulling up and she hung up on me pretty abruptly. And now here is Brandy, who actually lived at the Bourbon residence at the time, along with her fiancé, Jared, and their children. December 16th, by my calculations, at about 11 o'clock at night, you got a knock on your door. I was sitting outside on my front porch, waiting to see what was going to happen, and then two cops pull up from Crawford County with their lights on but no sirens. And then when they approached me on the porch, they started asking me, obviously, if I had seen Amanda or if I knew where she was. And I told them, no, I'm aware that she's missing, but I've not seen her. And they said, so, you know, you, you weren't going to tell us that she was here today. And I was like, she wasn't here today. Or, I mean, maybe she she shouldn't have been here today. I mean, I was gone, but I don't know that she was here and they informed me that they had a phone ping at my address off her phone that afternoon and wanted to search the residence to look for her so at first I said no because it was 11 p.m and my kids were sleeping and I thought that would scare them um but they were pretty persistent and pretty much said that they're going to come back with a warrant and it's going to get torn up so I might as well let them search now and so I did. How the how was the search in the, in the house? Was it pretty casual, they, just looking for a person, or was it? It was really was casual in the thorough? house. They just had flashlights out. They didn't turn on like the kids' bedroom lights or anything. They just kind of peeked in and peeked in the closet. Um, 
but you know, like they looked in the basement, they looked in the garage, obviously, they looked in the storage room under the stairs. Um, outside, they checked our shed. They asked for access to all the vehicle trunks, but I didn't have access to all of them because there was a vehicle being stored there by family, so they pried that trunk open. Um, and when they were satisfied that, you know, I was telling the truth, that she wasn't there and I didn't really have anything to hide, they left. And you never heard back from them again? Never. And their only probable cause was a phone ping at your address from Amanda's phone earlier that day on the 16th. Yes, or so they say. So they say. How do you think they got that ping? We're talking 24 hours from the time she was reported missing. How would law enforcement have her cell phone records within 24 hours? I don't know the answer to that. I assumed that they did have them because that's what they told me, but I could be naive to think that maybe they just needed a reason to search my house, but I'm not really sure why they would choose mine of all places. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm what I'm leaning to. So it's formally reported as missing on the 15th to law enforcement. If they immediately, right then, Prior to going anywhere else, they submit a subpoena for phone records. How long does it take to draw up a subpoena, get it signed, blessed off on, all that good stuff? They would almost have to respond immediately because they would need to have it the next day uh, in order for them to get that ping information and then get to your house that night. If I'm with the cops, you call me at 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock, whatever it is, in the afternoon to report someone missing. First thing I'm doing is probably not filing for a subpoena. Maybe I'm going to drive out there, talk to a few people, and we're going to find her right away. Also, this is an adult woman with no reason to really be freaking out at that particular moment. So all the stars align. Somehow they FedEx this freaking subpoena to AT&T or whoever her phone carrier is. They get the stuff back. Okay, shows a ping. Why would they report this ping? as being in the vicinity of St. Clair and Pacific, which is about a 20-mile gap between those two towns, when in fact the ping was the address in Bourbon. I what do you think? don't you know. I've, I've never understood why, you know, they were putting her last known whereabouts based off phone pings on posters, and it never mentioned my house or bourbon i mean i guess they're not going to post my address but it was like it was never referenced again so that leads me to what i believe happened i don't believe within 24 30 hours of her being formally reported missing law enforcement received their request for cell phone records from the cell phone carrier that's just really hard to believe not possible but really hard to believe. I believe they got that information from family members. Maybe she was on a family plan. Uh, maybe they could easily access it. They were able to request the records themselves. Call AT&T and be like, hey, tell me where all the phones are at on my plan. Don't know if she had an iPhone or other apps and all that stuff. 
But even if it was, that would be family doing it. So I believe family told law enforcement the cell phone information. And I do believe St. Clair Pacific was part of that somehow. I don't know how, because it's just a huge gap. I call family plan and I say, hey, uh, What's the activity on this phone? They say, oh, last reported usage is in St. Clair Pacific, that area. That still doesn't answer a ping for an exact address, but I get that information from family. I give that to law enforcement. What reasoning? I don't know if knew where you lived or not. I think she knew I lived in Bourbon, but not like my address. And she wasn't positive about Jared. Like, I think she knew you had a boyfriend or fiancé named Jared. Didn't know his last name. Probably assumed that y'all lived together. She knew you lived in Bourbon. Probably thought you and Jared both lived in Bourbon. Why would she ask if you were married? Instead of just saying, what's Jared's last name? She might ask that. But the fact that she asked, is Brandy married? So now she knows Jared's last name. She knows your last name's not the same and because you're not married. Why would that name be relevant? And the house wasn't in your name or Jared's name. Why would she be interested in you being married? I don't know exactly. So I'm trying to think, how could they get that address if there was not an actual phone thing, right? If, if there was a phone ping, it would have showed up to the address of Jared's parents, right? Their right. name on the house. So she, how could she relate that information to you? Like, What would make her go, huh, this sounds nothing like Brandy or Jared's last name, but maybe it is. Let me ask if she's married. It's odd, right? I mean, the whole thing is odd. It It, it was odd. Odd to say the least. Now, this incident at the Bourbon residence, it did occur. There is a record of the law enforcement response to the residence that night. However, I don't actually believe that a phone ping led them there. I believe they might have said that in order to elicit a response from Brandy, but I believe the information was provided by someone to law enforcement to go to that residence in hopes Amanda was there with some of her friends. Who provided this information or what led them to believe that she might be there is unknown to me at this time. Little to no answers have been learned so far concerning the activities of Amanda's cell phone on the day she was reported missing and the day following. In reality, I probably only have more questions. Why is the cell phone activity in the vicinity of the towns of St. Clair and Pacific reported so vaguely? Why is this widely spread as her last cell phone activity if it's not? Why is her cell phone pinging the next day if it was turned off? Assuming it was turned back on in order to ping in Bourbon, where was it turned on? Was the residence in Bourbon actually the last ping? If this wasn't an actual ping, then what led law enforcement to the residence in the first place? If something, ping or not, was substantial enough to lead law enforcement to believe that a search was needed, why was there never a follow-up? I mean, this is now the last known location of her cell phone, right? If Amanda, with her cell phone, was in the St. Clair Pacific area on the 15th, then in Bourbon on the 16th, this is a pretty good indication that she didn't leave the area that night. So where did she stay at? 
Did she have any other known acquaintances in the area that she could have spent the night with? Was any other surveillance or security footage gathered in the area and likely places that she might have visited while she was there? Next, on Finding Amanda. When Amanda's cell phone activity appears to have led law enforcement nowhere, they must start looking at her activities in the days leading up to her disappearance. Who is she with and what were they doing? Was this all planned or was it spur of the moment? Were there any obvious abnormalities in her behaviors noticed by friends or family? Well, the police kept coming in wanting to talk to him and all we was allowed to tell him was he wasn't there because we didn't know where he was or anything. Um, the first time I heard about the green van was when a family member messaged me asking me if a certain individual still owned a van similar to the one she was talking about. She was planning on coming to my house that evening to introduce me to one of her friends, but she never showed up. And she didn't call, so I figured her and her friend got busy. She told other people, you know, like, hey, I check out this green man on a routine basis. But it's it, like everything else, nothing ever came to fruition with it. Amanda Caudill is a Caucasian female who was 27 years old at the time of her disappearance, and at the time of this recording would be 35 years old. At the time of her disappearance, she was approximately 5'7 to 5'8 inches tall and weighed approximately 145 pounds. She had short blonde hair, blue eyes, both of her ears as well as her nose was pierced. If you or someone you know have any information regarding Amanda's disappearance or her current whereabouts, please contact the Crawford County Sheriff's Department by calling 573-775-2125. Anonymous tips can be submitted to the Greater Springfield Area Crime Stoppers. All tip submissions are kept completely anonymous by using the tip hotline number 417-869-TIPS or 417-869-8477. Or you can submit your tips on a secure online website at p. 3tips.com. Tips can also be submitted to the Missouri Missing Organization at info at missourimissing.org or 573-619-8100. This information will be included in the show notes. If you know something, please say something. It's been long enough. Finding Amanda is a Sage Media production and is available for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.